<laughs> All right. It's good stuff. It's been really quiet around the church office because Zach has been in Florida with the youth group. So, And that's saying a lot because Sheena Clevenger works in the office. And if you know Sheena, she speaks in explanation points. Every single sentence is an explanation point. I love my staff, so I get to pick on them. Um, hey, listen, I woke up this morning, and I got to tell you, God laid something heavy on my heart. I don't know what it is, but it's for someone right now this morning. It might be for one of you, two of you. It might be for a lot of you. It might be someone listening on to a podcast later in the week. It might be somebody listening to WTGN right now, but I want to tell you something right now. You are stronger than you think you are. You are stronger than you think you are. Somebody needs to hear that right now, and it's maybe not even part of my message. If you hear nothing else I say this morning... Tune into this. You are stronger than you think you are because the cross is louder than the voices of your past mistakes. And here's something else. The cross is louder than your current sin. The sin you're currently struggling with, the sin right now that you are all tangled up in, whatever it is, the cross is louder than that. And you're stronger than you think you are because of the glory of the cross. Amen? Amen. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Now, regarding the video, don't you wish it was just that easy? Don't you wish it was just that easy to get rid of sin in your life, the sin that trips you up? Just to switch to Velcro, if there was a problem in your life, you could just change your clothes and ba-doom, it's all gone. I have on my wall the vision statement of our church on my wall, and I wrote it in pencil for some silly reason. Like literally two years ago when I first started, I wrote the vision statement of our church on, in pencil on my wall, real big. And no one ever saw it. And so someone came in, Melanie Clausen, came in my office and said, oh, there's something written on your wall? I said, yeah, it's the vision statement. She goes, you need to get it where somebody can see it. So she helped me put vinyl letters on my wall. It's amazing. If you ever get a chance, go down to my office, stop in there on the wall, the vision statement in bright neon green. It looks amazing. But she said, you're going to have to erase those pencil marks. I said, can't you do it for me? She said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it. So she said, but I tell you what will work. Go out and get yourself a Mr. Clean magic eraser. Some of you are magic eraser fans for some reason this morning. You go get yourself a magic eraser. Mr. Clean. Make sure it's a Mr. Clean. I said, okay. I don't want to be getting one of those Mrs. Clean. She ain't. She's not going to cut it. you got to get a Mr. Clean magic eraser. I said, all right. So I went out and got a Mr. Clean magic eraser. I took the eraser, and I started erasing it, erasing it, erasing it on the wall. And it just made that really ugly sound. I was like, man, this thing's junk. It don't work at all. True, right? I said, this thing don't work. I told her, I said, I tried to use that magic eraser thing you gave me, and it didn't work. And she says, it didn't work. It always works for me. Why didn't it work? I said, I don't know. I took it out of the box, and I started erasing it. The thing don't work. She said, did you dip it in water first? I said, dip it in water? You told me to get a Mr. Magic Clean Eraser, and that's what I did. Ladies, when you instruct a man, you got to tell him every single step of the way. Everything, all right? You got to speak it in Spanish and German and all the languages, and maybe he'll get it. I said, no, I didn't do it. She said, Tim, you got to dip it in the water to release the power of the clean. I thought, oh, that's good. That'll preach. That'll preach. Listen, you got to dip it in the water to get it clean. All of us this morning need to be dipped in the forgiveness of Jesus to release the power of transformation found only in the name of Jesus. Amen? 
Now listen, this is on the radio, so church, you got to be a lot louder so they pick it up. Otherwise, I'm going to tell them just to cut my message and put a Billy Graham message on, and then hopefully people will know. Listen, you got to be dipped in the water. And the thing about that magic eraser is it was like rock hard until you soaked it in the water. We need to be soaked in the blood of Jesus Christ in order to receive the transforming power that can only defeat sin by the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you have a rock-solid heart that needs to be dipped like a sponge and soaked in the redemption and the restoration of Jesus Christ, washed clean, yeah? You better believe, amen. We're going to make people think, listen on the radio and podcast, that we are a Southern Baptist church way down the Bible belt saying hallelujah and amen after every single line I say, amen? Amen. Yeah, here we go. Listen, (laughs) we're going to beef up the audio and the cheers and the applause and the amens later in the audio. Listen, it's no joke, though. The Bible portrays sin as powerful. You know, the cross is powerful, but do you know that sin has power, too? Not greater than the cross. But I want to tell you, if the power of the Jesus Christ is not living in your life and in your heart, the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in your walk, then the power of sin and death is all the power you're ever going to receive. The Bible portrays sin as powerful, ever vigilant. Ever vigilant. It's an enemy. Sin seeks to deceive us, Genesis 3.13. It seeks to, it desires us, Genesis 4.7. It seeks to destroy us, Genesis 6.8. Even sin within the believer, even sin within the Christian is powerfully, actively waging war. Can you relate? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ but feel weary and wore down and beaten up? Do you feel like, man, I am so tired. It's just a constant battle waging in my heart and in my mind. Can you relate? Do you feel it? Do you feel this battle that's waging in your heart? If you've got your Bible, open them up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25 is what we're going to look at this morning. Romans 7, 21 through 25. Even sin within the believer... Washed, by, washed clean by the blood of, of the Lamb. And yet still we struggle. You know why? Because we live on, on, even though we live on this side of the cross, we don't live on this side of eternity. Until we are fully, completely in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we live in a broken, ugly, fallen world. And we are still, every single day, people in need of a Savior. And so we struggle, and the war wages on. Sin is powerful. Even in the heart of a Christian. Romans 7 verse 21 through 25. So I find this law at work, Paul says. This law, it's not grace, it's law. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's grace. You see, I find this law, which is not grace... But in my innermost being, I delight in God's law, which is grace. Can you relate to that? But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at the work within my members. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. 
What a wretched, ugly man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Do you ever feel that way? That you've struggled and you've struggled with that addiction. You've struggled and struggled to make ends meet and you can't seem to do it. You've tried and tried and you're like, I'm a Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian. And war is waging in my heart. Can you relate? Who can rescue me from this body of death? Paul says in verse 25, the first part of it there, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who can rescue you from the power of sin? Only Jesus. And thank God for Jesus. Yeah. Sin is lusting after you. Do you know that? Sin is lusting after you. It craves you. It wants you. It desires you. Sin is lusting after you, Galatians 5, 17. It's lusting after you. And even, and you know what lust is? It's, some, it's, it's chasing after something you will never, ever, ever get. And as soon as you think you get it, you just want more of it. It's never satisfying. Lust never satisfies, ever. You chase and chase and chase. It's like a dog chasing its tail and chasing its tail. And finally, when it gets a hold of it, it realizes it's killing itself. Sin is lusting after you. Galatians 5.17. It's enticing you. It's like a carrot. It's dangling in front of you, this sin. Waging in the war of believers and non-believers alike. Sin is powerful. It seeks to destroy you and entices you like a worm on a hook and it drop and it just reels you in and it's hoping to grab your attention to distract you to pull you away it entices you come on come on just another just another step just another step you can do it come on come on and all the while it just keeps backing up you'll never ever reach it ever until it destroys you imagine the heartache of a young child trying to learn to walk if mommy said, come on, you can do it. Come on, one more step. And mom usually does this, but eventually she stops and grabs them, hugs them, and smothers them with her love and says, you did it. I'm so proud of you. Let's do it again. But imagine if mom just kept moving and never, ever grasps their child with love. That's sin. Enticing you. James 1.14. It entices you. Sin entangles us. That's why the first part of this was all about getting tied up in knots. That's why the video, as funny as it was, the first video last week was Zach running a marathon or or at least running a little bit. (laughs) He tied up his shoes and then his shoes got untied and it entangled him and he fell. Sin entangles you. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 1 and 12. It entangles you. That's why we call this switch to Velcro. (laughs) We're jokingly saying, listen, get rid of those things that entangle you, even if it means getting rid of some things that you even value. You got to get rid of the old, out with the old, in with the new. You got to get rid of the shoes sometimes that you just bought, paid a lot of money for, and switch to Velcro. Which, by the way, Velcro shoes are really hard to find. I think only Walmart sells them. And they're really ugly. I was going to get a pair, but I thought not to. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it entangles us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Paul talking here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. He's challenging us. He's, it's not just, hey, if you get a chance, you might want to do this. Hey, if, 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 if you're out and about, you might want to stop by. No, he's saying, I urge you. I challenge you. I strongly advise this. This is a big deal. Brothers. In view of God's mercy, 
to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It entangles us. Sin entangles us. If we don't transform the renewing of our mind, I'm telling you right now, in view of God's mercy, if we don't grab a hold of it, it's going to just simply entangle us. Don't believe me? Let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 as well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 there. Hebrews chapter 1 and 12. Paul, again, here talking. It entangles us, and it's easy to do. If you don't have God's mercy in view, if you don't have Jesus in view, if your view is something else, if you don't focus on the cross and the power of the cross, if you don't transform the way you're thinking, it entices you, and it'll entangle you and trip you up. Because there's a war raging. And you can't do it by yourself. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses. Listen, know your Bible. All the prophets that have come before us. All the great Bible characters that we now live on this side of the cross. That they suffered, they went through. All the great witnesses that we have out there. There are so many great saints amongst us that have lived in biblical times. In modern times, think of Billy Graham. How amazing, wonderful was his life. Think of some of the presidents we've had that have lived God-fearing lives. Think of Faye Stevens, who live amongst us. Think of Sandy Rufner, who lived amongst us. These people, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and let sin not, I'm sorry, that hinders and the sin that so easily, what's that word there, entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what was set before him? The cross. And he knew full well what going to the cross meant. He was going to die a murderous criminal's death. And yet for the joy set before. He he looked at that as joyful. Because he knew what that was about to bring into our lives. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Scorning the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sin entangles us. It trips us up. But praise God, we can kick off the shoes with messy shoelaces and switch to Velcro because of Jesus Christ. We can throw off the sin that so easily trips us up and reach out to Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us real quick, and then we're going to continue to dive into the word. Father God, this morning I worship you, I adore you, and I thank you for the privilege it is to stand here before your people. And bring the word of God. Your word. Holy Spirit come make your presence known in this place right now. You are welcome to move and stir within the hearts of every single person. Listening to my voice right now. Both here and now live in the balcony in the seating on the radio on the podcast later in the week. Or maybe even a year from now when someone stumbles upon this podcast. Lord do your work in them. Holy Spirit come we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
So last week we talked about King David who got all tripped up and entangled in sin. David got all trippy on us. For those of you that lived through the 60s and 70s, you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are still kind of buzzed off from that right now. You're like, oh yeah, the 60s, yeah, 70s. David got all tripping, entangled up in sin. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I talked to you about how David wasn't even where he was supposed to be. Can you relate? Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 that when all the other kings went off the war, David stayed in Jerusalem. David wasn't even where he was supposed to be. Hey, can you relate? He got all tripped up because he wasn't even where he was supposed to be. It's even worse. David lingered in temptation. We talked about how David, late in the evening, he woke up from bed. He was uneasy. He got up and walked around his house. Can you relate to that? David got up in the evening. Woke from bed. Bible says that he walked on the balcony of his palace. The Hebrew word there for walking uh, insinuates that he was pacing. Not just walking. He was pacing back and forth. Back and forth. He was uneasy. Why was he uneasy? He was unsettled. Why was he unsettled? Because somewhere in his heart he knew he was convicted. I'm not even supposed to be here. Can you relate? I'm in a mess and I don't even know how I got myself in this mess. And he was uneasy, but he saw something. He found something. He was where he, wouldn't, he wasn't supposed to be. He was uneasy. He was pacing back and forth. But he found something that satisfied his uneasiness, that fulfilled his unfulfillment in that moment. He looked and he saw, like many of you men in this room, a woman. <laughs> Isn't it just like a woman always tripping you up? He saw a woman, and not just a woman, a beautiful woman. The Bible says not just a woman, not just a beautiful woman, but a very beautiful woman, Bathsheba. He saw her. To make matters worse, she was taking a bath. Most intimate moment of her life, she's there taking a bath. He sees her. He's like, oh yeah, now I feel a lot better. And you know what? I bet he stopped pacing. I bet he stopped walking. He wasn't where you're supposed to be. He just lingered in that temptation. See, it wasn't sin yet. It was just temptation. He just lingered there. He had the opportunity to look away and say, you know what? I got to get on my horse. Somebody call the chariot, get it ready. I got to get into battle and get where I'm supposed to be. But he didn't. He lingered in temptation. And don't you know when you linger in temptation, it always leads to sin. So David intentionally pursued sin. He said, who is that woman? And they said, well, that's Bathsheba. And she's married and she's this. And and her husband's one of your soldiers and he's a good man. And and he could have turned away right then, but he didn't. He intentionally said, who is that? They told him. He could have stopped right there and said, I'm not even where I'm supposed to be. I got to get on my horse, get in my chair and get in the But he didn't. He intentionally pursued sin. And he said, go get her and bring her to me. And as you know, the story goes on and she gets pregnant. And when she gets pregnant, David does what most of us, if not all of us, try to do when we sin. We try to cover it up. And I say try because let me tell you something. It never gets covered up. The word of God, the Holy Spirit, is going to expose the sin in your life. Let me linger in that a minute. The God of the universe... The judge of all is one day going to expose the sin in your life. Please don't let it be at the throne of judgment after you've died. Do you hear me? King Solomon goes through the book of Ecclesiastes. He tries everything to satisfy his soul. He looks for everything. He tries everything. Men, women, wine, buildings, 
great noble causes. He does it all. And at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not even in my notes, but I want to tell you, somebody needs to hear this. You're searching and you're searching and you're searching for something to satisfy your weeping, devastated heart that's full of sin. And King Solomon tried it all. In his chapter 13, it's the last couple verses of chapter 13 in Ecclesiastes. He says, now that all has been done and said, here is the conclusion to the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Because after every single thing that he tried, wine, women, rock and roll, he tried it all. He said, it's meaningless, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. All is meaningless. Is there any purpose in life? I've tried everything. Chapter 13, last two verses. Now that all has been done and said, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. David did what most of us try to do. We try to cover our sin up and we fail every single time. He pursued sin. He got her pregnant and then he had her husband killed. That's King David, the man after God's own heart. If God can redeem and restore and allow his bloodline to bring about the savior of the world. He can do it for you. David was later confronted by the prophet Nathan. Nathan was the voice of God in that moment, speaking into David's life. And he confronted him and he, he told him a story about something very devastating to David's heart. And then Nathan said, you're the man in the story. And the story of redemption and consequences. Hear me now. David's story of redemption and his consequence for what he did is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I encourage you to read through it. Point being that David confessed and repented quickly. And only because of his confession and repent of heart was the power of forgiveness and redemption able to break the power and chains of sin in David's life. Now there were still consequences. But even still, the power of God's grace and forgiveness is greater than the power of sin and consequence. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because David, unlike his predecessor, King Saul, King Saul was just belligerent. He, just, he always made excuses. When he was confronted with something, he said, I, it wasn't me, it was them, it wasn't her. It was, I didn't, well, hold on a second now, let's try to figure this out. I did this for good reason. Listen, David, unlike King Saul, was quick to confess and repent. Are you quick to confess and repent? Parents in the room, you know that things go better when your kids just own it, confess and repent. Did you do that? Yes, mom, I did. All right, let's, move, let's talk about it, let's move on. It's when they start trying to make excuses and they go on and on like a, a child. Like the child they are that things get, they go from bad to worse. But David owned it. David owned his sin. When Nathan confronted him, he said, oh my, literally, oh my God, Lord, what have I done in your presence? He owned it. He came to his senses and he owned that sin. I want to tell you, you need to own your sin. Take responsibility for it. You did that. Last week I said, you asked for it. David asked for it. Who is that? Go get her. And he got her pregnant. Then he went from bad to worse. He had her husband killed. He owned that sin. But let me tell you something. That's where a lot of people stop. They try to be good and noble, good Christians by owning the sin. I want to tell you, you need to own it and then you need to surrender it. 
And there's nowhere else you can surrender it. Not Facebook, not Twitter, not Instagram, not the newsboys, not whoever. You fill in the blank. You can't surrender the sin that you need to own to anyone other than Jesus Christ. He owned it. He surrendered it to God and so can you. You can overcome the power of sin in your life, but only by surrendering to the power of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you briefly, every day I do devotionals, and sometimes I use the same devotional for a week on week, and sometimes I mix it up and I do different things, but a devotional that I used several years ago from author Gavin Autlon, and it challenges us to hate sin, to absolutely hate sin. Sin. If we're going to overcome the power of sin in our lives and surrender to Jesus Christ, one of the things we have to do before we surrender, we've got to hate that sin. We've got to come to a place where we're broken. And you're just, you despise even the, the stench, the smell of that sin in your life. You've got to hate it. If we don't feel the magnitude of our sin, if we are not gripped, by its stench and grossness, if we pass over it with this a little bit of affection and affirmations of grace, we're like, oh, yeah, I kind of messed up over there, but I prayed yesterday, and, you know, it's all good, you know, and you just kind of, you're, you're real flippant about it. Listen, you'll probably never get around to the serious vigilance required for killing and once and for all breaking the sin of addiction or that habit or that struggle in your life. Truly subduing it requires properly grieving it. you got to come to a place where you hate that sin. Where it's despicable to you. Where the smell and the taste of it. I hate onions. I'm going to be honest with you. If it's got onions on it, I send it back. I'm serious. I literally went to Fat Jack's and ordered a sub. Drove there, picked it up, came home and had onions on it. I threw it in the trash. My wife says what any other mother and wife would say, well, you just pick it off. Because I can't stand even the, the fathom, the, 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 the place where the onions used to sit. Well, they're not there anymore. I don't care. I can still feel their presence. <laughs> You've got to get to a place like that about sin. <laughs> you got to grieve it. You got to get to a place where you just push it away from your plate and say, no, nope, uh-uh. Beth Moore is one of the best cooks I've ever met in my life. I'll eat just about anything. If she were to make something, put it in front of me, I'll eat it. But if she said, yeah, it's really good, it's blah, 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 and it's got a little onion in it, I'd say, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> nope, not going to happen. Not today. Oh, well, come on, I'll take it out. Nope, not going to happen. I despise onions. Listen, you've got to despise and hate sin. Nagging sins are those sins that are likely to be numb in your life. If I was like, yeah, I guess onions aren't that bad. I'll, I'll try some. You know what? Eventually, I might start to like onions. But you know the truth is, I don't want to like onions. I just don't. I don't want to like it. We need to resensitize our conscience to the different sins in our life in light of the gospel. We've become so desensitized to so many things in our lives. We need to resensitize our hatred for sin in our lives. We need to say things like, this impatience that I'm struggling with. I, you know, some people, I'm just such an impatient person. Stop with the impatience, man. Slow down. The impatience is part of what Christ had to bear on the cross. 
This worldly ambition, this ambition I have to be successful and to be thought of as good and awesome and and, and to have more friends on Facebook and lots of followers on Twitter, uh, this ambition that I have in life would lead me straight to hell if not for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This lingering resentment, this bitterness, this lust, this envy that I have in my heart grieves the Holy Spirit. And I can't grieve the Holy Spirit. i got to get rid of it. You've got to hate sin. You've got to really slow down and really examine our hearts. Defeating sin in our life often requires uncomfortable, honest, truthful reflections and acknowledgement of what sin is doing in our lives. You've got to own it. You've got to say, this alcohol is killing me, my family, my wife, and everyone around me. Oh, it tastes good. It's so much fun. I love it. It's so much good time. But I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's killing me. i got to acknowledge it's killing me. It's time. It's time. I hate it. I hate it more than I love it. You know, I sit on the phone and I talk for hours and hours behind people's back. i got to watch my mouth. I, I just hate, when I open my big mat, fat mouth, the things that I say, and then I stand here and worship God with the same mouth, and out of the same mouth that I'm worshiping God, the same mouth spews all kinds of vulgarity and gossip. I hate that about myself. God, please help me. I want to own that and surrender it to you. Because it's just straight sin. And that sin is keeping me from full fellowship with you. And all the blessings that you have for me. I hate it. I hate the old man I used to be. Me, Tim Lewis. I hate the old man I used to be. It's despicable to me. I despise it. It makes me quite literally. I'm not joking. It makes me literally physically sick. When I think of the man I used to be. I don't even know that old man anymore. Praise God. The old is gone and the new has come. But you know what? Every so often, oh, every so often, somebody will get a shovel, put it in the ground, and dig up the old bones that have been crucified and laid in the ground because of the power of Jesus Christ. They'll dig up my, own, my old bones and they'll hold them up and they'll say, look at who you used to be. And I'll say, yeah, you're right. That was who I used to be. And it makes me sick and I hate every single bit of that. Get it away from me. And I run from it. And a lot of times they'll try to chase you down and throw those old bones back on you. But you've got to hate it enough to run from it. Do you hate sin that much? Or is it just a little annoyance in your life? Is it just something that you yeah, struggle with? You've got to hate it. Oh, you've got to get it deep down inside of you and hate it. Those sins can survive in your life if it's just a simple annoyance, a mild dislike. Only hatred for sin will fuel the needed effort to completely crucify it and lay it at the the foot of Jesus Christ. Got to hate sin. We need to starve sin as well. We've got to starve the sin in our lives. You've heard this before. This isn't nothing earth-shattering new, you know. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. I got a plant in my office that is literally from Easter Sunday morning, or I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. It's a palm branch. Remember those $5 palms that you bought, Sue, for for Easter two years ago? Not just this past Easter, two Easters ago. It's still in my office, and I still water it, and it's still living, because I keep feeding it. I went on vacation. I called Sherry Jordan, our lead administrator of church. Hey, while I'm gone, can you water my plant? She said, sure, and she watered it. 
It's still living. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. You've got to starve sin in your life. Folks, I want to tell you, some of us need to go on a diet of the mind. We need to, we need to starve our mind of some things. In this devotion, the author talks about one of his favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies, too. It's A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. A Beautiful Mind by Russell Crowe. How many have seen it? Great movie. I think it's rated R. Christians, you should have never watched it. <laughs> Unless it's got Kirk Cameron in it, you should have never seen this movie. <laughs> a Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe. In this movie, Russell plays... A gentleman who's been diagnosed with schizophrenia and he's told that all of his lifelong friends are actually not even real. Can you imagine someone coming up to you and you realize, wow, you mean all these people that I've thought I knew all my life, they're not even real? You don't see them? No, I don't see them. Wow. I didn't even know. <laughs> they weren't real. But he genuinely misses talking to these illusions. He genuinely Misses talking to them, but he knows that he's got to stamp out these delusions in order to move on to better health. If you've seen the movie, Russell Crowe sees these people all around him. He just finally decides one day he's got to ignore them. He simply chooses to just have a, what he calls a diet of the mind. True story, by the way. And as he does, these people gradually recede in their influence over him. Gradually, they just lose power and the destruction that's over him. Some of us need to go on a diet of the mind. Romans 12.2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I read that earlier. We've got to go on a diet of the mind. We've got to starve it. Instead of just sitting in front of the TV mesmerized by Netflix or whatever you're watching for hours and hours on end, go on a diet of the mind. And transform your mind by reading the Word of God. By watching a healthy, good movie that's going to inspire you and lift you up and encourage you. Watch something that's going to feed your soul and strengthen and edify you. Talk to some good, godly friends. Have a Bible study, for, for goodness sake. Do something amazing, like laugh and play with your kids and family and friends. Get out and actually throw the baseball back and forth. One of the things I love to do with my youngest daughter is, I don't know why, she loves to throw the football. She's way better at it than I am too. And we get out, we'll just throw the football. And she always throws it really far and I just watch it go. And I'm like, oh, doggone it. You do that again, I'm not getting it. But I go get it. I pick it up. I come back and I throw it to her. And then she does it again. I'm like, I told you. And she's like, yeah, I know, Dad. But we have fun. It's great. It's kind of a diet of the mind. I love just being outside with my family. Listen, the more we indulge in sin, the more of a grip it has on us. We've got to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's James 4, 7. We need to starve the sin in our lives of the affection and attention we give it. You know, there's a lot of sin that you give a lot of attention and affection for. And there's a lot of people that need your attention and need your affection and you're starving them. It's like a muddy dog in your house. You got a muddy dog in your house and it's running all over and it's just, it's just rampant all over. And it's a mad dog at that. It's foaming at the mouth. It's muddy and it's all over the house. It's tearing everything up. It's knocking lamps over and tables. And you finally wrestle that dog to the ground and you get it and you throw it outside. And you're like, fine, you clean up the house. And then you turn around and that dog's sitting at the screen door. 
and it looks so hungry. It looks so tired. It looks so thirsty. And you're like, oh, maybe he's better now. And so you go up and what are you doing? You're lingering in temptation, man. You're going where you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be nowhere near that dog, but you're like, okay. And you start, and you begin to pursue it, and you look at it, and you say, and you open the screen. Oh, he looks okay, and you pet it. Oh, he's so cute. Look, he's not foaming anymore. It looks like he took a bath. And so you open the door, and you let him in, and he just goes nuts all over again and just tears everything up. That's like what sin is in our lives. If we don't starve it, if we don't take that muddy dog and throw it out, if it is foaming at the mouth, you don't take that dog up, tie it to a tree, and Charles Ingalls it, bang, and shoot it. <laughs> that mad dog, that rabid dog is just going to keep coming back in and it's never going to change. You got to get rid of it. Last thing you got to do before you surrender, you own it. You, gotta, you own that sin and say, oh my Lord, what have I done? I've come to a place of confession and repentance and I hate this. I hate it more than I love it. I do love it, but my God, I hate it. It's killing me and everyone around me. I'm going to surrender it to you, God. I'm going to starve it, and I'm going to surrender it to you, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to corner it. We need to corner the sin in our lives like a boxer. we got to get it in the corner, in Jesus' corner. we got to get in there because sin, like any enemy, thrives on allies. It's almost like a wrestling match, and it's in there wrestling you, and then it tags someone else in, and then it tags another one, and it comes in, and the things it's tagging in are unhappiness, exhaustion, discouragement and before you know it it's an all-out assault on you and it's all piled on top of you but you got to corner it you got to hate it you got to starve it you got to corner it this means that we've got to study the particular triggers in our lives years ago when we went to life the kids are going to be coming back tomorrow morning from life i cannot wait to pick them up my oldest daughter and i are going to go pick her up along with nate tucker we're going to go pick them all up I can't wait to hear the stories of what God has done in their lives. Years ago, when I went, been to like four or five lives, one of the lives we went to, one of the, 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 the workshop leaders talked about, you got to know your passion buttons. you got to know the buttons the devil pushes in your life. And some of those things are, you're very passionate about, but they're full of sin and ugliness. And you got to know those triggers and those passion buttons. you got to know those buttons if you're going to corner it could be a geographical location. If you're an alcoholic, stay away from bars. If you're an alcoholic, stay away from alcohol. I sound like I'm yelling or getting in your face. I'm not. Please don't receive this as condemnation. Receive it as conviction. If you're trying to lose weight, stay away from cookies and ice cream. <laughs> you're trying to stop smoking, stay away from cigarettes. Now, that's a very practical first step, but there's so much more. It's not quite that easy. It never is. It never is, because sin is not just about what you're physically doing. It's what's in your heart. It's what's in your mind that God is, is really concerned with. You know, I find it's most commonly the emotional, unhealthy habits that we need to avoid. Lust is greatly weakened when it cannot appeal to our fatigue, our emotional needs, our loneliness and shame. It's more difficult to succumb to envy. Listen to this. I love this. I talked about the Mr. Clean and Magic Eraser. And in order for it to really have its true power, you got to soak it in water first. You got to activate that power that it has in it by putting it in the water. Listen to this. It's more difficult to succumb to envy 
when you're soaking your heart in your heavenly inheritance. How many of you know you've got a heavenly inheritance? If you've received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you have a heavenly inheritance. But if you're not soaking and basking in that, if you're not there just just worshiping Jesus Christ for the inheritance you're about to receive and that you have received, if you're not there every day at the throne of the cross just worshiping Jesus, instead you're not there, you're where you shouldn't be, and you're over here just all messed up, unhappy, delusional, thinking that things around you, the sin that so easily entangles and entices you is real, and that's what you're pursuing got to give that up. got to corner it. There's a lot of sinful anger that we have. Not all anger is sinful. You know that? But there's a lot of bitter, sinful, angry people walking around. And some of them are Christians. That anger often melts away when you're spending time, listen to this, with exceptionally kind and forgiving people. You've got you to you gotta corner it. And if you've got a problem, you need to get around people that are exceptionally kind and loving and forgiving. And that's what the church is all about. That's what the church is all about. Let's be the church this morning. Right now I'm going to ask the band if they'd come back up. Please. And this is the moment in the message where... You probably know where this is going, and I hope you do, because I hope the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart, leading you to this moment where the pastor is going to say, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we start to hear the Bibles close, and people do this number and stretch. They're like, oh, he's going to ask us to stand up. Thank goodness, because i got to stretch my legs a little bit. I've been sitting here too long. We're at that moment in the service. Yeah, here we are. Some of you are like, thank goodness. I'm glad he's wrapping it up. I got Taco Bell to get to. <laughs> We're at that moment in the service. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart. I hope he's been doing a work in you. Because I'm going to extend to you an offer right now. An invitation to come to the altar. Band's going to sing a wonderful, amazing song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. Are you ready to break free from the power of sin in your life? I mean, once and for all, seriously, are you ready to hate sin more than you love it? You ready to starve it? Ready to corner it? It starts with confession and repentance. It's not going to be an easy journey. In a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to stand and sing. And in a moment, I'm going to ask those of you that would like to receive Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Or for those of you that want to reclaim the inheritance that you have forgotten you even have to stand up and come down here and that's not easy because you're thinking all kinds of everything. I told you the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart. I hope he has this whole week and this whole service. But I want to tell you the devil's been working too. Yeah. He's working on you right now and he's telling you just sit there. When he tells you to stand, stand, sing and then just leave. Don't you dare go to that altar. You've done it before anyways. It doesn't work. You got you to go on the diet of the mind and starve that thinking because it does work. I'm living proof of it. And I have to go to the altar daily. This isn't just a once and, time, once and for all thing that you're going to do today. Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus each and every single day. That's what sanctification is. 
but you're also positionally at that moment sanctified through and through in his eyes. When you come forward and you kneel at this altar and you confess and you repent at that moment, right then and there, you are sanctified, holy, through and through, righteous, completely in the eyes of God. But then when you stand up and walk back, guess what? The process of sanctification begins to work in your life and it's going to continue to work every single step you take the rest of your life. And there will be times where you'll have to come to the altar. And I hope that's every single day. In fact, before maybe even your feet hit the ground, when you wake up in the morning, you go to the altar in your heart. You say, Jesus, I need you more than I need my next breath. Are you ready to break free from power sin? Are you ready to soak in the love of Jesus Christ and the power of his redemption? If you are, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. And when you do, I want you to come up here. I want you to just kneel. Yeah, I could ask you to just stand in your pew and slip up your hand, and that's fine. But as the band sings and we stand and sing with them, if you feel led to say, I need to break the power of addiction and sin in my life, I'm tired of loving it more than I hate it, and it's time. If that's you, I want you, when we stand and we begin to sing, and all the while while we sing, at any moment as the Holy Spirit stirs you, you come and you kneel up here anywhere. You can even just kind of come and stand over here if you'd like, but kneeling is always so wonderful. I can tell you these first couple of steps are extra padded. <laughs> we did that on purpose. And when you do, there's going to be people that want to come pray with you. And they're just simply going to come along and say, hey, can I pray with you? And you can say, no, that's okay. And that is okay. But I challenge you, take them up on their offer. And pray with them. Receive Jesus this morning. Recommit your life to Jesus this morning. You ready to do that? I got to tell you, as a morning speaker, any kind of speaker, you put your heart out there. You really do put your heart out there. I've been saying all week long, Holy Spirit, please come and have your way in your, your people. Have your way in your people. If it were my way, every single one of you would literally run up here and kneel. But if it's my way, if I'm truthful, it's partly ego. What pastor doesn't want to deliver a message and have everyone come to the altar? This pastor does. (laughs) But it's not my way. I've been praying, Holy Spirit, have your way in the lives of your people. So, Father God, right now, I pray that you have your way. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in the hearts of these people right now. As we sing, oh, come to the altar. May their hearts be so stirred for you that they would do just that. Come to the altar and confess and repent of the sin in their lives, the struggles in their lives. May they do so this morning, Father, some for the very first time that the candle might be lit for them next week. For some, if not most, Father God, may they come to the altar and recommit their lives and say, Lord, I've made a mess of myself. I've gotten all tangled up. I'm all tripped up in sin. I've tried to cover it up, but I'm ready to confess and repent. And with you, I can break the power of sin in my life. So Holy Spirit, come right now. We worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me. Let's sing along with the band this morning. Oh, come to the altar.